0: I have always said that this was a dream job. Um, So really, to be honest, I didn't really care what anybody had to say. But people did have a lot to say. Um, You know, that it was career suicide, that it was a horrible decision, that it was too much of a risk. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis,
1: and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all of the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, Erica Nardini beat out more than 70 other candidates, all of them men, to land her dream job as the first ever CEO of Barstool Sports. It's a sometimes controversial brand that caters mostly to guys, and she's helped lead the company to explosive growth. So how did she find her North Star, and what has she learned about confronting controversy? You're about to find out. Erika Nardini, welcome to No Limits. Thank you. You are the CEO of Barstool Sports, and um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on our show, not only because you've been incredibly successful, the first CEO of the company, you started 2016. Yes. And you've now since you've been there achieved over 8 times revenue growth 700% growth in brand advertising and 300% growth in commerce that's what your your official bio says so it might okay. even be more than that yeah, at this sure, point I'll probably take it. is but one of the reasons i wanted to have you here on no limits is so often we speak to women who have created or are running companies that are primarily for a female audience, sure. Sure, they they encompass other audiences as well, but yep. the focus is women. The focus of barstool sports primarily men. Sure, our audience is definitely male. So, for our audience who might be new to barstool sports, how would you
0: describe it? I think it's the most interesting and disruptive brand and media company of our time. Uh, it started as a blog. Uh, Dave Portnoy would describe it as a 15-year reality show. And how I think of Barstool is it's a platform, whether it be on social or podcasts or merchandise or live events, that basically understands what you know, 18 to 34-year-old men and really 18 to 34-year-old people want to see, think is funny. What engages them? We're a media company that lives on the same level as our fans. But mostly we're a comedy brand that guys in particular relate to because we get them. We we have a lot of guys who are exactly like our fans. Um, and we're building a big business around that. And By the way, Dave Portnoy,
1: he goes by El
0: Prez. El Prez, creator and founder of Barstool Sports. Look, he created... He created a a newspaper that turned into a blog, which was how he saw the world, which was completely unfiltered. He saw it as a fan. He saw it as a single guy living in Boston. And then he found other guys who had unfiltered, super authentic takes on anything from sports to sports teams, to personalities, to the media, to dating life, to city life, whatever – And we, on average, Barstool creates about 180 pieces of content a day. And some of those people don't like. They're very controversial. We have a strong opinion. Our guys have a strong opinion about most anything.
1: It's unfiltered. It can be be controversial. There are those who love it, those who hate it. Yep. There are those who call it sexist yep. at this point. I want to get into all of that with you. But I also think, uh, first of all, you were a bar stool sports fan, which yes. they're called stoolies. Yep. So you were a fan yep. when you came to CEO. You had worked for companies like Microsoft, AOL, Fidelity Investments. When you took over as CEO, first of all, you're the first CEO yep. of the company, even though it had been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Second of all, you're the first female Period inside of the company.
0: I'm the second female. The, the second. first female was Jenna Marvels, who went on and still has a fabulous career. Um, I was the first when I joined Barcel. There were no other women. I was the first CEO and really their first r- real business hire. There were a couple of hires on the technical side and on the sales side, but really their first business hire.
1: What did friends, family mentors say to you when you were making the call?
0: I knew the minute that I met Dave and met the lead guys at Barstool that I I knew before I met, the, met them that I would want this job. I have always said that this was a dream job. Um, so really, to be honest, I didn't really care what anybody had to say, but people did have a lot to say. Um, you know, that it was career suicide, that it was a horrible decision, that it was too much of a risk. And that you know, that's one, one side of feedback. And then the other was, you know, how could you not do it? Can you get me a t-shirt if you work there? So the people who were fans, I remember the weekend I was in Massachusetts and the weekend before I took the job. I was talking to a bunch of my friends. My professional friends thought it, generally thought it was a bad decision. Some thought it was a good decision. Um, my life friends were saying, I remember asking one friend of mine who was a woman, uh, you know, what do you think of Barstool? And she was like, oh, I get all my news from Barstool, which, you know, I said to myself, like, God, that's really alarming. But um, <laughs> yeah. but so people, it's, a, it's like anything Barstool. People love it. No one feels indifferent about Barstool. And my decision to join Barstool met the same type of feedback that you f- you hear about Barstool in general which is people love it they get it they they see how different and how powerful and how unique this is and then there are people who don't understand it hate it loathe it you know diminish what it is and what it stands for so I'm just a microcosm I think of how people feel about Barstool in general
1: for those who thought it was a big risk, what was their primary issue? What did they think might happen to you in your career if you took the job?
0: I don't think they saw what I saw in Barstool. And I don't think they believed in it. I don't think they found the humor. Uh, and I don't, honestly don't. I think when I think most people who engage with Barstool actually find the humor in it because I, I, I think it's wickedly funny. Um,
1: Is it your sense of humor? Yeah, you I love
0: their sense of humor. In general, I love our sense of humor. Um, but I think people felt that it wasn't prescriptive. It wasn't what someone like me should go do or what they would go, the choices they would make. What did they think you should go do? Oh, probably like a big CMO job or a president job or, you know, I don't know, something, something more traditional.
1: You had been chief marketing officer at AOL for many years. Mm -hmm. You were originally you were on a path thinking you might
0: be a lawyer. Yes, I originally thought I was going to be a lawyer. And it did not work out. No, (laughs) I didn't want to be a lawyer. I felt bored. I was, you know, making a lot of money at the time. I it was very like brown, bland office. And it just was not there. There wasn't any heart to it. There wasn't any heat to it. I was not passionate about what I was doing. I love to work. I've always loved to work. And I wanted to be in a place where I could be intellectually really challenged. I wanted to have fun and laugh. Um, I remember when I worked at Fidelity, I, you know, I would go out all the time. And, you know, my girlfriends and I would get into all sorts of trouble. I lived with five women and I would spend, I could get my work done in the legal department really fast. I could get my work done in like an hour and a half. And then I spent the rest of the day like recapping exactly what happened the night before and who did what and why it was funny and this, thing. which in hindsight was probably a really horrible decision and a bad use of my time. But I needed a creative outlet and I, and I wanted to do something that made me laugh. And so I just chose to document what we did you know, my personal life or whatever. Um, but then when I moved into advertising, I really loved advertising because it was a really creative medium. Every single day was different. The internet was just starting and it was like a stepchild. Nobody wanted to work in the internet. Everyone wanted to work in print. And I, I got opportunities to just learn and do and I took those. And I've always, I've just always been really curious.
1: You also seem like someone who's comfortable with risk. Love risk. Love risk. I get bored very easily. I like risk. So in that vein, with Barstool Sports, Mm -hmm. there have been, not just under your tenure, but prior to you as well, there's plenty of controversy sure. to talk about. ESPN, which mm-hmm. the parent company that 100%. owns ABC News, Disney, yep. owns ESPN. ESPN last year pulled out of a deal with Barstool Sports after there were sexist comments on a podcast. Podcasting is another big part of mm-hmm. the Barstool Sports business. Did did it surprise you
0: when ESPN pulled out? Uh, so I was saying to your assistant that the last time I was here was when I was... Um, Meeting with ESPN, and I said I hadn't been here in quite a while. So, um, (laughs) did you have PTSD? No, that's fine. It was fine. Um, ESPN pulled out because I think they they underestimated the the perspective of Barstool from their employees. So it wasn't nothing was said that the current that they were reacting to. The show we created was excellent. I stand by. The talent of that show, Dan Katz and PFT commenter, are incredibly talented, and I think we made a show that was electric. Um, We are very controversial. We, you know, Dave created this company in in two thousand four, and ESPN is a far more controlled, traditional uh, environment and media company. It wasn't a great marriage um but ultimately the internal politics and dynamics were were really strong and they you know they killed a great show in my opinion how do you think about it
1: not just in the context of of that one particular issue but in general when you hear women in the media industry women in the sports industry there have been some recent ones coming out of the olympics where they feel like it's a sexist message they feel personally attacked by the barstool sports message and they think it's it's not about whether or not they're good or not at something but that it actually is about them being a woman
0: yeah i don't I I've maintained that I don't think Barstool is sexist and we do not have a sexist culture. So our company culture is frankly really egalitarian and way more egalitarian than you would find um, any traditional company that I've certainly worked for. More that,
1: so in your than the other companies that you worked for. Like
0: no question. Well, you
1: were hired out of 74 men.
0: Right. As the out. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think they hired me because I was a woman. I don't think it hurt that I was a woman, but I think they hired me because they thought I could do the job. And, and I think I've done the job. So, so it works out. But um, look, part of what makes Barstool Barstool is that there's no agenda with Barstool. Uh, it's anything for a laugh. And... You know, what I really am impressed by in our company is you talk to anyone on the creative side or on the business or side or the production side, and everyone is maniacal about, did the joke land? Did the piece of content hit? Did the podcast work? Did the video work? Did people like it? And beyond that, there's no agenda for Barstool. Uh, We also have about 40 bloggers. Each one of them produces dozens of pieces of content a day. And so some of the jokes hit, some of the jokes miss. Some of the comments are dead on. Some of the comments aren't exactly always right, but we are evolving from there. So, you know, I don't think Barstool sets out to be controversial. I think we are perceived, the perception of Barstool is far more controversial than the reality and I also think that when we screw up, we acknowledge it and we set it right, and we move on.
1: There was, yeah, there was the uh, the radio host fired yes. from the comments about Chloe Kim. Yes,
0: Patrick Connor.
1: There are going to be people who are going to listen to this who are mm-hmm. going to say, "How can a female work in a company like this?" Mm-hmm. How do you answer that? More no limits after this quick word from our sponsor. Are you hiring? join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy to use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site Indeed.com. There are going to be people who are going to listen to this who are Mm -hmm. going to say, how can a female
0: work in a company like this? Mm -hmm. How do you answer that? Um, It's funny, I get this question a lot. So um, so I don't think people ask the two, you know, I think Refinery29 has co-CEOs that are both male. Condé Nast run by a man, Hearst run by a man. I don't think that they that those CEOs get questions about Cosmo and an article about sex tips in Cosmo. I get asked every single day about the editorial of Barstool Sports. I don't run the editorial of Barstool Sports. I run Barstool Sports. So one thing that's different is I get those questions all the time. Mm-hmm. And I get a gender question thrown in there yep. when guys in my exact position, men in my position, do not get that question. And men have always been the CEOs of media companies for women, always. I think I have the only company that has a female CEO on a female CRO in the entire media business. So for me, it's hypocritical because I get the gender question, I get the editorial question every day. And yep. I don't think that my peers get that question. They're not they... having to defend themselves.
1: No. You raise such a good point. Um, It's something it reminds me a little bit. Jen Hyman, the founder of Rent the Runway, and Mm -hmm. I were having a conversation about how hard it was for them to raise capital, how hard it is in general for female firms to raise capital. And it's a little bit different from you, but I think it's it it rings a similar note, which is for her when she goes into a podcast or an interview, there's always going to be a portion of the conversation that's dedicated to the the sort of woman question Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And she made the point, if I was a male CEO and founder, the entire conversation would be about promoting the brand and yeah. talking about it. And and I have, I mean, I really do think a lot about that question. Um, so I appreciate where you're coming from there. And I appreciate you for sharing that. I wonder when it comes to the content, which, again, you're not the overseer, as you mentioned, do you think the content would be as successful if, for example, the girls there's the girls section which is sort of like a you know for lack of a better way of putting it like the girls gone wild Mm -hmm. or you know type of content on the site would it be as powerful and popular with your crowd if you were to drop that type of section from yeah it's a great question
0: so you know and and just credit to you you are You know, it's funny. I did an interview last week. You're the only person that's mentioned ever the stats about what we've done with this business. So I I appreciate that because I do think I generally get questions. of uh, The questions I get are, why would you ever go work there? Um, What do you think about being a woman working there? What's it like as a woman? You know, "Is, is it sexist? Like, that's basically the litany of questions I get on Barstool. So I, which I get, like, that's part of, that's my gig. But um did you expect that, that going in by the way? I did and I didn't. I I did and I didn't and I really don't it doesn't I'm here to build a great brand and I believe in this company. I love Barstool Sports. I am so passionate about what we're doing. I think we are so interesting. So I don't really care if you like us or don't like us or you like the editorial or you don't like like the editorial. I think we are a company to watch. Regardless, if you think the jokes are funny and you like our editorial tone to the question of would Barstool be Barstool, you know, it's funny. um, I've shared this once before, but when I was the only person of the 70 ish people, guys who came to interview for this job, who didn't ask about the smoke shows and or didn't give an opinion about what should happen with the smoke show. So I remember when I was meeting with our editor in chief um, and he said, well, aren't you going to ask me about the smoke shows, which was, is the girls' section, which is the, the girls' s- section. Yeah. Yep. Um, we post two posts a day out of one hundred and piece, one hundred and eighty pieces of content a day are, you know, a, a, a woman who sends in her photo. Uh, most of these women end up getting. A modeling gig from that photo submission and the recognition they get from Barstool, but regardless, it's like another topic for another day. But um, I was the only one that didn't ask about it because I do believe that if you were to change what Barstool was, where it came from, the way it talked about what it talked about, it wouldn't be Barstool. And there is such an intense loyalty with our fans to our brand and our content and our guys, that if you were to take away or chip away at what was, it's chipping away at a relationship. And the single best thing that Barstool has is its fans. And we are deeply loyal to Stoolies and to our fan base. Uh, we care about them more than we care about anybody else. And we feel a sense of responsibility and to not cheat out on the relationship. So my thing coming in was like, look, yeah, you can get a tactical CEO or a general manager who would say, change this and do that and do it the way everybody else does it. Or uh, this doesn't meet a PC standard or a normal media company would not do this, that, or the other things. And I don't believe in that. I, I believe that, that Dave got barstool to where it was when I joined, you know, a year and a half ago by being honest, by being authentic, and by being basically loyal to his teammates or his the other people in Barstool and to their audience. I don't think it's the right thing to do to look back and chip away at oh it by a 2018 standard this comment from 20, you know, 2007 would never have flied. Of course, but i i'm interested in building a company for today
1: how do you keep that audience as they grow older when the 18 to 25 18 to 34 year old audience is now you know 34 to 50 mm-hmm. how do you keep the conversation going yeah. are you thinking about yeah, that yeah
0: always you know it's funny we had uh, snapchat came into the office yesterday and we were talking about You know, what does our demographic profile look like on Snapchat? How is that different from what we're doing on Instagram? So, you know, I love about Barstool and what I love about what we've done in the last year and a half is we've just pushed the envelope in terms of brands that we're creating. We have 700 social accounts, which when you would look at Barstool Sports, you would say, oh, there's one social account, but plus a bunch of funny guys and their social accounts like we're way, way, way bigger than that. And part of being way bigger than that is understanding what is our what what appeals to everyone, right? We liked Rough and Rowdy. When Dave and I bought Rough and Rowdy, we thought this could be bigger than Barstool because it doesn't matter if you're seventeen years old or you're fifty-five years old, if you're into boxing or you're into a five hour Highly entertaining, entertaining show on a Friday night of backyard brawls from West Virginia. Then this is going to appeal to you. Rough
1: and rowdy kind of is like a combination in my head of old school mm-hmm. and um, jackass gangs, yeah. and
0: <laughs> gangs, of New, gangs York. of New York. Yep, a hundred percent. Which is truly old school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so you have these, these basically so, people boxing in front of audiences of like 500 yeah, 40 people. fights a
0: night. And, yeah, 5, and $10 000. for a pay-per-view. $10, uh, that's the early bird special. The early, okay, so, excuse yeah, me. So $15, $15.99 night of. But it's I would know the early bird special. Yeah, that's right. That's smart. I you're a know woman. That, yeah. You're like on top of your stuff. <laughs> um, but we also have brands that are related to you know we created podfathers which is about being a dad we looked at the we looked at the podcasting space and we said hey um the only podcasts for men who are dads are from women and they're t- gen- generally christian so there's white women and christians white christian women making podcasts for for parents and we said hey there why wouldn't we barstool that why wouldn't we have Real guys who are dads talking about what life is as a dad and the trials and tribulations. Like, that's funny. That's real. That's relatable. What for you has been the toughest lesson along the way? (laughs) There's a lot of lessons. Um, Stamina. um, Stamina and being comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, one of the things that I've really learned from Dave, which I appreciate, is he just has a really you know, I grew up in really corporate environments professionally. Um, And I followed a very prescribed route of what you do first, second, third and fourth. And and I feel like I did take risks in that process. And I worked really hard in that process. But I appreciate how Dave sees the world. And I think that I've learned a lot from that. And I think that You know, Barstool is just constant. I think one of the things that's made us so successful and why we have numbers unlike anyone else is we try stuff all the time. You experiment. All the time. And we take on a lot. We have so much ambition and we do it with a really small staff and we do it with How big is the staff? It's now about 100. But it was when I got there, it was, I don't know, maybe 15 or 16. Is there anything in terms of the management of
1: controversy that you, in retrospect, you would think about doing differently or just really high level things that you've taken away from because you're the CEO of this company, you're the one who has to say something often.
0: I I think it's important to have a North Star. And I think most companies or not most companies I think a lot of companies struggle with what the North Star is. What's the right thing to do, especially now, especially now? And who are you? I think most companies or many companies don't know who they are um, especially
1: now again. especially
0: now I mean you read that Vox laid off 50 people and most of the people they laid off as far as I could tell in reading the news were were people who were making content for Facebook and what that said to me was Vox made a pivot to staff up on the promise of monetization and reach and growth on somebody else's platform. And businesses have to do that, especially businesses which are ad supported. Like you have to go where the audience is and you have to go where you can make money. And what I love about Barstool is we know exactly who we are. We know exactly who our audience is. And the North Star is staying true to that and not, you know, moving which way the wind blows.
1: Worst advice you've received along the way.
0: Oh, I've gotten like a ton of bad advice. Don't take the barstool job would be one. I mean, we'll see how that plays out, but that was... <laughs> I was going to say, advice. are you sure? <laughs> Is it too soon to say it was bad <laughs> advice? <early>. I'm joking. <laughs> um, it's definitely bad advice. Um, to suck it up. I hate, you know, I used to get advice to just like be quiet and suck it up. Um, when did
1: you first get that advice? What circumstance was it?
0: Um, I got, when I worked at Fidelity... Um, I got a lot of bad advice, which was why, why aren't you normal? Why aren't you happy with what you have? You should be happy with what you have.
1: You're lucky. You're
0: lucky to work here. And I ha- I don't like to be told what to do generally. So I didn't like that. Um, that, that was bad advice. Um, that was bad advice. I also Good thing
1: it wasn't bad financial
0: advice. Yeah, it probably wasn't. Bad. I mean, it, it was definitely not bad financial advice. I actually totally agree with that. She was like, you're an idiot. You're going to make, you know, a third of your salary. And I was like, OK, that sounds great. I'm definitely up. Sign for Sign me up. Sign me up. Um, but I the other pieces of bad advice I've gotten are um, to not do the right thing for the customer. And to do the right thing for the business when those two were not, you know, good businesses, those two things are mutually exclusive and in businesses where they haven't been, um, to do the right thing. You you always want to do the right thing for the company that you work, that work for and your boss or whatnot. But, um, to not do right by the end user, um, is bad advice. And, those would be the worst pieces of advice I've gotten.
1: Erica Nardini, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. And I'm sure this will be one where um, our listeners will have lots of opinions. So uh, feel free to share them with me. And Erica, how can people reach you?
0: They can reach me on Twitter. I'm pretty responsive on Twitter. Uh, My handle is EKA Nardini. Thank you. Thank you.
1: And now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is Victoria Flores. She's the co-founder and president of Lux Beauty Club. It's the first ever hair extension and maintenance subscription box. And I want to point out that Victoria contacted me on Instagram right in the comments, which I loved, so you can all feel free to reach out to me there. You might just end up on our show. Victoria is based in New York, where she lives with her three-year-old daughter and husband. She graduated from Texas Women's University with a BS in political science. She has an MBA from the University of Dallas, and after business school, she had a long career on Wall Street. But in 2008, while working at an institutional trading firm, Victoria started as side hustle. That was the early seedling to Lux Beauty Club. Why did Victoria start Lux Beauty Club? Well, because she says she was tired of overspending at the salon on hair extensions. There had to be a better way. So she and her co-founder started selling hair extensions out of their apartments to friends and stylists. And then after a few years, Victoria says they were already doing upwards of a million dollars in sales. The biggest thing Victoria wanted to know before launching the business was... A, that consumers wanted the product, and B, she needed to figure out how much it costs to acquire customers online. Once she had all of that figured out, she knew she wanted to reach everyday consumers, not just stylists. So the idea for the subscription box was born. So what was the biggest obstacle? Access to Capital. She bootstrapped the entire launch with her own money and her co-founders. They did a small round with friends and family. And now they're about to close a seed round with outside investors. No surprise that raising money is often one of the hardest parts, but bravo, getting that seed round closed is such a big deal. Congratulations. So if Victoria could go back in time and give herself advice, she says she'd cut herself some slack, tell herself that everyone makes mistakes building their business, and she's no exception. The most important thing is to learn from those mistakes. Congratulations, Victoria Flores. I'm so glad you reached out to me on Instagram. You are our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. I wish you and Lux. Beauty Club, continued success, awesome work. Remember, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as the Entrepreneur of the Week, you can send me your nomination to no Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on social media, but send us an email there. I do love hearing from you. Send me your story. Tell me why you're doing it. Tell me who your audience is, who you're targeting, how long you've been in business. Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe it's your full-time thing. Maybe you're ready to take a giant leap. I want to hear all about it. I do read all of those emails. And remember, if you like what you heard here, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a nice review. It really does help. That's how people find us. Us. that's how they find us on all the different places where you can listen to your podcasts I also want to give a shout out to the team that helps make this happen week after week our producer Taylor Dunn our editor Michelle Bancardo our research assistant Annie Osakwe David Rind who goes above and beyond at ABC Radio and the rest of the team at ABC Radio who helps us make this happen thank you hey I'm Andy Mitchell a New York Times best-selling author and I'm Sabrina Kohlberg a morning television producer